Hey everybody, welcome back to Two Dads Named Grant, the only one-stop shop podcast on the internet for being the world's okayest dad. My name's Grant Overman. And I'm Grant Vickery. And today we are going to be talking a little bit about nutrition and feeding the grubby little monster who's screaming for food. That might not be your experience, that's definitely my experience with uh, mealtime, because my son, uh, the doctor kept telling us he would let us know when he's full, and so far that hasn't happened, so... <laughs> <laughs> He's been never main, been full once. It's been mainly guesswork, and I actually I have the perfect story to kind of exemplify that exact feeling. So normally, before you tell your story, time, yes. What about our social? Yes. Let's do social media. We can't. Yeah, let's do social media because media is social these days. It, I've it heard. is. Everything is social all the time, whether you want it to be or not. So we are on the social medias. Actually, just the one. It's Twitter. And we're at TDNGCast. And so you can get episode updates. They're mainly, occasionally, really hilarious jokes by me. Uh, but mostly just episode updates. So if you don't think I'm funny, yeah. you'll be and, safe. And it, and it should be, should be like, I don't I don't touch the Twitter. That's all Overman. So if you really hate it, don't blame me. I'm not involved in that. Right. But if you do hate it or love it or vice versa, you can also email us with any kind of feedback or That's questions. Right. Um, it's TDNGCast at gmail.com so yes. both of those twitter and email we're happy to receive feedback on please follow us on twitter share it with your friends and family and all the that good stuff right there will help us kind of get the word out and the more people that listen to us probably the better place the world is i i've conservatively that's, conservatively, that's why i that's so. why i started this thing it's mostly you know i just you and i needed to rescue everyone from themselves <laughs> that's that's right. Clearly. Or depending our, on your point of view, a clear example of how not to do things. Either right. one. Our expertise right. or lack thereof on full display. Right. Uh, the other thing I want to mention really quickly is that for the first time after this episode, we're going to have a link in the description of this podcast episode that will take you to a Google Doc that will have links to all of our sources. So if you are curious about where, why we said something or where that information came from, check the description and click that description to look at our links. And I'm going to do my best to make sure all those links are actually available because some of them are behind different. It, that, that doesn't matter. Uh, it'll be available. I'll make it work. Right. Yeah. Uh, but oh, yeah. So tell me, on the internet, tell me yeah. about uh, uh, Zach and, and his... His so, never-ending desire to continue eating yeah, furniture. Yeah, or something. He's, it's like owning. It's like my own little Pac-Man living in my house. Um, <laughs> so he typically, when he wakes up, uh, usually the first words out of his mouth when I walk in in the morning are, um, he, he shows me his monkey and his blanket, and he says monkey and blanket, and we're very proud. I'm like, good job, you still know yes. those words, you haven't forgotten them in your sleep. And then he looks at me and he says, eat, and it is time to eat. And there is zero patience. And you know, he's almost two, so that's to be expected. But sure. Um, He's notorious for eating sometimes even more food than he normally does. If I, if I can kind of divine that he might be actually hungrier than he normally is or something like that. Right. But my favorite example of this is uh, we occasionally will take him as a treat to the donut shop. That's just a few um, minutes from our house. It's, it's a local place and it's pretty good. And I love donuts more than just about anything in the whole world. Well, so, why wouldn't you? Yeah, and so it's 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 a fun thing to get to share, and of course he loves it because every child who's ever existed is like, give me something sugary, and I'm happy. <laughs> and so we, we give him the little donut holes because the one time I tried to give him a piece of a whole donut because he can hold it and bite things off. He just mushed it into a piece that was um, small enough to actually get in his mouth technically, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> Again, he has no ability <laughs> to regulate his own intake, right? And he doesn't. Yes. He never stops. Rarely stops on his own when he's full. So the child's mouth is completely full of a donut to the point where he really can't close it, and we're just waiting for his saliva to dissolve it down to the point <laughs> where he can chew. And he is signing to us more because we taught him to sign for more before he could really oh, no. talk. And he's going, ooh, ooh, oh, you no. know, saying more and signing more oh. while his mouth literally cannot close from the food. Oh that's my still gosh! In it. Like you guys need to keep up the constant stream. If there's this not- is humanity. Right here. Right, yeah. I've, I've always wondered why I struggle with portion control. It's not my fault. Yeah. And so it must just be something in the air or the water or <laughs> the, the earth here in the United States, right? That we struggle with this kind of stuff from even an early age. Um, so well, we'll talk funny... about how it actually is in the water later on. <laughs> Does that coincide with your post war Kame conspiracy, Mandrake? <laughs> So while obviously we don't expect a two-year-old, or we shouldn't really, right, to be that good at regulating their food and sugar intake, right? Uh, overall, I, I think Americans we're not necessarily very good at that, and that's backed up by some data. Um, I went and looked through some Pew research. If you're not familiar with Pew, basically they exist to uh, conduct polls and then tell people what they think, uh, and they're really good at it. And they found that 54% of Americans think that today we pay more attention to our eating habits and specifically healthy foods than 20 years ago. But 54% mm-hmm. of Americans also say that we eat worse than we did. Um, they didn't. That's very interesting to right. me because yeah. that means you've got like, I, I know that it's not necessarily the same 54%, it, but I imagine it's like a lot of overlapping where people are like, yes, I do know this is bad for me and I feel terrible about it and I can't stop. So really what we have is just like self-loathing. That's it. <laughs> right. That's how I, mean, that's how I approach food. And, and there are some good trends, you know, consumption of sugary soda is at a 30 year low, uh, diet sodas too, as well. But obviously we still have an obesity problem in this country, especially childhood obesity. And it's an interesting topic to me because there's a lot of science and food science, I think, is one of those topics, kind of like we talked about on the previous episode, which if you missed, go back and learn how to read any kind of scientific material and realize you have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> but <laughs> but you all the time, right? And it changes a lot. Yeah. Especially I mean, people within your lifetime you can remember sugar's bad, sugar's good, you know, this kind of fat is good. No, it's actually Don't bad. Eat you know? eggs. Eggs are right. bad for you. And, and then, then it's, only eat, eat an only egg diet. Yeah, right. Be eggs like one of those food. lizards that raids birds' nests <laughs> yeah. because they live forever or something. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So it can be hard to get through all the information, but also culturally we have some really deep seated bad habits and approaches when it comes to food i think yeah well. we and do. it comes from a lot of different sources but um, so i want to ask you about yeah. those sources really quickly because i know that there's we've we've talked about this some and and i think on the on the scale of like civic public responsibility versus individual responsibility i i probably side more on the individual side of it like i tend to hold individuals accountable for their actions even if i know that you know environmentally those actions were essentially coerced and they had very little control um (laughs) uh, that's also a a product of my protestant guilt right which may not be the same level as catholic guilt but you know i'm not catholic and it feels pretty sharp so maybe that's just me looking for another reason to engage in self-loathing about my daily habits but um (laughs) you are are very upset by I think that's I think that's fair. Yeah, fair that you're Might very upset by advert. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying to avoid hyperbole here. Um, you froth at the mouth with loathing when it comes to <laughs> advertising. Is this is that fair? Yeah, I would. And it's not that on the face of it, I think that it's a bad thing. And I, I it's that 
like you were talking about, environmental pressures and borderline coercion. It's that, especially today, with our constant access to information, a screen of some kind, and also our just economic culture in this country where, you know, nothing, very few things are sacred uh, as far as they should, you know, be kept away from a business uh, standpoint. We are just inundated and assaulted constantly with messaging about what we should and shouldn't do when it comes to spending money or habits that influence how we spend money, right? And, right, right. And the thing that really bothers me is that, you know, there are, whatever the company is, you know, if it's Facebook, there are people, hundreds of people employed by Facebook whose only job is to use science and technology, the science and technology at their exposure to keep you on that app 10 seconds longer than you originally intended to. And so while right. I agree, every individual has the power to opt out of the stuff and to avoid it, at the same time, your personal responsibility, I think, is mitigated a little bit by the fact that how is any individual supposed to compete with that level of psychic assault, right? And and the right, same thing for right. food, right? I mean, it's this kind of stuff is, you know, there are people whose entire job it is to commit, get children, influence their brand loyalty as children. And, and we're going to talk specifically about advertising targeted towards children, but like not just, hey, you should like the cereal because it tastes good, right? Which is... A harmless enough message because it does taste good and yeah it does that but that's nice. not, but that's not how you get children to like stuff though is by like using reason and logic no that's you know? true but I mean this this idea that's the stuff that that's not what horrifies me what horrifies me is the idea that it's like a, how do we get this child to wrap up their identity in Coca Cola so that even if they don't want to buy Coke they still kind of feel like they have to or whatever right yeah <laughs> they're yeah. abandoning their childhood I mean I feel that way like I associate specifically Coca Cola with all kinds of positive childhood memories and that's not all laid at the feet paper of cup coca-cola with soft ice is baseball right exactly and that's so baseball that's not all laid at the feet of corporate america i don't pretend because you know i also just think coke tastes good and like it and i would anyways well, so yeah it's it's a big you know it's liquid sugar of yeah course. yeah it's, that's I'm amazing not absolving myself or anyone else of all responsibility but it, it it is bothersome and discouraging to me that we are forced to you know, stand up against a never ending tide of an army of other people and way right. more money Us than we'll ever see in our whole life. Cutting edge science to right. try to manipulate your behavior. Right. It, it, it's one thing if you come up to me with your cart and try to convince me to buy this snake oil as I'm taking a break from like hoeing a row of turnips or whatever. It's another thing right. to be like Those everywhere hucksters. I look. Yeah, everywhere I look, there's a logo for McDonald's, you know, plastered onto something. You know, with right the blanket they wrap your child in at the hospital when they're born, you know, says, you know, <laughs> live Moss or whatever and has the Taco Bell logo. That's not true. We're not there yet, but the but day is soon be, coming. You know, right? I think we should start stamping babies with sponsorships to decrease birth costs like NASCAR things, you know, like, right. It's, I had a Taco Bell baby and then you put it on social media and, the, and then Taco Bell will take part of your medical bills. That's the, that's the true healthcare reform we need in America. <laughs> baby sponsorships, right? So that's I mean that's and I think you've got some data to share a little bit about just how big of an industry and what the kind of stuff that goes in on adver with advertising to children for yeah. This so kind of stuff. so the main the main study that I'm I'm I looked at here was by a bunch of people Howard et al. Uh, and it was done in 1989. And so we, I think we can only say, like, it's probably gotten a lot worse now, especially if you think about how media has changed, how now mm -hmm. it's not just your entertainment that has advertisements on it. Your news has ad and news is entertainment as well. Right. But anything you get through a smartphone is going to be in this same category. And so now our, the difference with our TVs is that 
our children can take their TVs with them depending on their age and your rules about technology. Right. And so we'll talk about screen time at at a later episode. So this, this study that was done in 1989 is relevant, but I think probably, probably a bigger issue now by a long shot than it was then. But basically they studied the amount of time kids spent watching TV and how much they like wanted these advertised goods. And I mean, this is one of those kind of duh studies, but you still need data to back it up. And, and what they found basically was like, the more TV you watch, the more time you spend sitting and watching these TV, uh, these, uh, these TV commercials, the more you're going to wrap up who you are and your like desires for life within the products advertised. So they are influencing to a high degree, the things that you want, which basically just boils down to advertising works, which of course it does. Cause it's a multi-billion dollar industry, but it works really well. And it's increasingly targeted at kids. Cause that was not the case, you know, a long time ago. Sure. Um, Starting about remember. the 80s, 90s, right, is when that yeah, really that's, took off. That's, yeah, that's when it started being like a major issue is this is now aimed at the kids because people figured out, just like you see commercials for like grocery store things aimed at moms or cleaning products aimed at moms because they're the ones who are doing that buying. And now increasingly you're seeing car commercials aimed at women as well because women are the ones who now bear more responsibility for choosing a car than do men. Um mm-hmm. And so advertisers are aware of this shift in the trend, and so they'll adjust it, right? And they figured out in the 80s and 90s that if you target children, then the result of that is that those children nag their parents into getting them what they want, right? And then that's an easy way to control child behavior. So so that works really well, right? Even though children don't have any purchasing power, their desires make up a huge portion of you know, uh, expenditures of overall or yeah, percentage definitely. of income. Yeah. And, and there's all kinds of, I think, sociological trends that just off the top of my mind, and I'm hypothesizing that, you know, when we were in the era of the, uh, what is it? The latchkey kids or whatever Yeah, that can kind of start where it's like, Hey, you know, this is how you can bond or connect with your child by giving them this thing they want. And so children are influencing I, that's, you know, conjecture on my part, but I can see, especially now when we're in this day and age where, as adults, we're assaulted with all kinds of information. Assaulted is too violent a word. We, we are, there's so much information out there about what can be good and or bad for your child, right? That it's in the forefront yeah. of our mind. And, you know, not necessarily that we all listen to our children about what they want to do all the time, but you do a little bit and you, it yeah, makes well, you feel a, good a as a parent pressure. to give them something and it makes them happy. And, and things that taste good make people feel happy naturally. That's not the fault of a corporation. I think what... <laughs> it's just biology. What's, yeah. yeah, what's borderline sinister to me is this idea that, you know, if we can get them young, right, then we have formed a habit that will be lifelong. You know, I mean, it sounds like right. how cigarette companies approached advertising, I was right? just going to say, yeah, this is why I will give my child, you know, parliaments so that they don't end <laughs> up smoking something that I would disapprove of later on in life. You've got to get them tuned to it. Right. And we don't allow that anymore, right? Like for before we even stopped all kinds of cigarette advertising, you know, it was like, well, you can't advertise to children. Like Joe Camel has to go Be- away, right? Right. Um, because it's, and I think that's pretty, like, that's reasonable. And then you think about the negative health effects of being obese. Right. And it's on par with smoking. Um, yeah. I, or or worse than, you know, you say, and there's a, another article that, that we had that you, you can see in the link in the description below, but um, doctors Heather Patrick and Teresa Nicholas, and I think it's a great article. We can talk about a lot of things in it, but the, the two statistics that were most surprising to me is that 
Since 1980, kids are now 30% heavier across the board. And since 1990, adults are 25% heavier. And so this is really like a lifelong issue. You you become obese as a child and then you remain obese for the rest of your life. Right. And that to me is terrifying. It is. And it's not, and I want to make it clear, I'm not trying to claim that the, you know advertisement is the only thing that's causing this, but you just mentioned it, lifelong habits, right? And so you form those so yes. early. And your parents in your home is obviously... It might be the biggest indicator of that, but there are these outside forces that are a little, they are at our control, but if we don't think about it, I I think a lot of people don't necessarily think, I certainly didn't until the first time I ever heard of this phenomenon, that the stuff I watched as a kid, like, you can't even distinguish as a child, like, psychologically between the show and the advertisement. It's all the same thing, right? And so you don't even know what's happening to you because you don't have the capacity for it. And obviously children have less impulse control and less ability to think critically about the messaging that's being targeted toward them. And so these things kind of take root in your brain long before you even know why. And that's the same with parenting stuff too, right? I mean, that's why it's important as a parent to set clear boundaries, right? And talk to your children and teach them things before they really understand why. It's like, well, why do I have to go to bed when you say I need to go to bed? Well, you can explain to your four-year-old the importance of the monsters are going to come get them (laughs) and how their cognitive functioning dramatically decreases if they're, you know, tired and their impulse control and all these things well they don't care and they don't understand you right and so that you know that's something that a habit you can form right without knowing that you've been sent you know told a message and then later on as an adolescent or an adult or something when you understand it better you might pull up that thread i think the thing that concerns me is that while parents might tell their children something that ultimately isn't 100 percent correct or the best idea it's usually done with some measure of good intentions Whereas the only intention is to make as much money as fast as I possibly can, right? Without any right, that's their that's their entire goal. right real yes. consideration for your health, and and we are going to talk about family habits and the kind of things that we do that are that are problematic. But I mean, there's advertising in schools, right, for food, and it's none of it's good food. You know, right. the avocados right. from Mexico people do not have are not paying for I- images in your kid's <laughs> science textbook, right? It's it, it's McDonald's and Coca Cola and. Whoever yeah. makes corn syrup, just in general, right? <laughs> and so I, I think that's the U.S. government. I think they've just taken over that. It's it's a racket. So I'll, I'll I'll stop ranting about the the evils of this kind of stuff. And there's a lot of different ways that you can, you know, prevent your child from even being exposed to that a little bit. That'll be again more in the screen time. Well, you can you can maybe. try, but it really but, it really is everywhere. Yeah, you can't right? do like, it. At all, have you ever seen pictures sure. of cities that have made billboards illegal? Oh, have you ever seen? No, this? but that sounds amazing. Well, it's it's so bizarre because you're like, this city looks wrong to me. Like, this highway looks wrong to me because there's not, like, I'm not being told, like, by the way, repent or you're going to hell. Also, <laughs> stop here at this truck stop for, you know, a good time. And, you know, adult video rental. And then the next one is like, by the way, there's a McDonald's. And it lists the exits. And you're like, there's a McDonald's at every single exit. Yeah. That's fascinating. Wow. Every single one. <laughs> But I have a piece of anecdotal evidence to talk about the impact of advertising. I have never once in my life had tricks. Oh, the cereal. Ever. Right? Yeah. I've never With had it. Rabbit. No, because yes, He's never my had mother it refused. Either, actually, because those children are <laughs> evil. <right? laughs> they, yeah. Well, they're, they're kind of jerks. Yeah. But my my mom refused to buy tricks. And it's not that I never had sugary cereal. It's like I, I never got tricks for some reason, though. Um, <laughs> I, I think the rabbit just made my mom upset. But I have positive regard for tricks and i think of tricks as like a tasty and good cereal and that's left over from those advertisements like that's such a huge part of 
like what I think of in my mind. Cause you know, it's like the Saturday morning cartoons yes. that you go watch and like, I see the tricks thing. And so I have this positive kind of emotional connection with a food I've never eaten. Right. Right. Um, so I think that that's indicative of what you're talking about here, which is this has powerful psychological effects. And this is the, uh, there's, there's so much power and force behind it. And that power is aimed at one thing, which is making money. And I'm not I'm I'm not saying that they shouldn't be able to do that or that you know that's bad or wrong but I think also you can say as a parent it's my job to be aware that that's their goal yes and then to counteract that because their goal is not to have my child's best interest at heart exactly that you know they're not concerned with my kid and I'm concerned with my kid yeah so I'm gonna I'm gonna mitigate this in as much as I right. can right and an interesting piece of information that goes into that because I think as Americans we part of our kind of bad relationship with food is that we not that there's not negative side effects maybe about viewing food as culture and inherently pleasurable and something you should eat for the joy of eating food because I could see where that could lead you down a road where you overindulge maybe but this idea that we just we just eat to live so we can get back to whatever the important part of our right. life is right? And, right and so then if you're if you're taking kind of this cavalier attitude to like as long as it's on the table and it actually you know they actually eat it and they don't bother me too much um, which again, as the parent of a toddler, like getting a child to eat or do whatever you want them to do without any kind of complaint or <laughs> whatever, I can imagine it's only going to get right, worse, but that, right. that, that's a lot of effort to do that. So this idea that we don't put that much thought and effort into what we eat, why we eat it, how we eat it, the time we take, when and where we do it, like all these different factors. And that was another part of that Pew research poll was all the varying attitudes, like why do people choose things? Because it tastes good, because it's good for me, because it's convenience, because it is cheap. Like there's so many different factors that go into how you choose your food. And yeah, yeah. I think we default on those unconsciously. We don't always, I mean, more and more we're thinking about it, but it hasn't translated into behavior as much uh, that we've seen. And right, I, I don't know why that is. Yeah. My suspicion is that we have not, we've been educated on what the outcome should be, but maybe not on what the process should be. You know, like we should uh, eat more. Expe- what do you, what like do you mean We by should that? eat more healthier. Your goal should be to reduce sodium and increase fiber and eat more things that are green and eat stuff that has not been prepackaged and all these lessons. But like, how and why do we make those decisions? Because I think if you're in the grocery yeah, store, okay, yeah, like it maybe is a little too late because nobody likes being in the grocery store right for longer than ten minutes because it's crowded and stressful. And especially if you bring your kids right. with you, like the Lord be with you, anyone that has, especially more than one <laughs> child with them at the grocery store. I mean, yeah. Good Lord, that every time I see someone like that, I say a little prayer for them in my heart because <laughs> right. It's it's hard. Yeah, it's yeah. really hard. Um, so I I want to I want to shift just a little bit here um, from talking about kind of what is good for your child in terms of or what these sort of studies have said, and in terms of like how to ignore some of the things that look like they might be healthy but actually aren't yeah. healthy. Or, or that, you know, there's no real difference here, right? Because it's not like health food is not its own industry, right? Yes. If, if we are more concerned about health, like you're talking about, then it follows that people are going to find a way to monetize that, right? Yes, definitely. And that's kind of what I'm talking about, right? If you're just guessing at the point of sale, yes. then yes. it's the same thing, right? You're kind of, you're buying a message that somebody's selling you and you're not entirely, that message might not be what you think it is. 
Right. How do you feel about organic bananas, Grant? <laughs> um, I feel like it's America, and we're the land of the free, and if you <laughs> want to spend 80% more on something that's the exact same as the regular darn bananas, then go right ahead. Um, that's, that, that is your I've always wondered what an inorganic banana would look <laughs> yeah, like. <laughs> I guess like that plastic yeah, thing, or, the plastic you know, bananas. That, exactly, that's your inorganic banana. Um, yeah, like in case you didn't know, Oftentimes, I won't say 100% because different companies are different. And, you know, the FDA technically has rules for what you can and can't say on the packaging of your food. They are laissez-faire. For some, for some <laughs> things, but not for yeah, others. Yeah, and, and organic's one of those ones that I don't think really has any rules. Um, it has some very broad ones, and that doesn't really mean what we think it means because we tend to think it means higher quality in some fashion or healthier, which... Right, uh, really doesn't mean that at all because you could have organic, you know, deep fried chicken nuggets or whatever, and those are still deep fried chicken nuggets. So, and, and that's, I mean, that's a different idea than just like, hey, organic cane, right? Sugar. Exactly. Mm. Like this is not. It doesn't automatically mean the product itself is healthy, but it also doesn't mean oh, it's less processed or somehow it has more of its nutrients than it does. Um, right. Like for, yeah. I remember watching that King Corn documentary in college. I don't yes. know if you remember when I saw this and I became immediately obsessed with how everything is yes. corn. Like we package corn inside of a corn package, <laughs> like it, the, the polymers from corn. And we arrive at the grocery store on like ethanol fuel, which comes from corn. And like, I just got so concerned that my whole body, I was going to turn into like Grant on the cob. I was just terrified <laughs> of this for a while. Right. But that's a, everything was that corn. organic label but it's is organic. a great idea or a great example. I should say it is a great idea if you want to make a lot of money, but like it, right. it is by far not a guarantee you are getting a superior product or even a healthy product just because it says organic right. on it. Because organic is an advertisement. Yeah. It's not a label. It's an advertisement. Just like if you look at like it's a uh, meaningless uh, certain bacon term. packages. Yes. Yeah. If it says like raised without uh, um, hormones or antibiotics and there's a little asterisk. And if you look at the bottom, it's like the FDA forbids the use of hormones and yeah, right. They and, didn't do uh, anything out of the goodness in, of their heart pigs, or care about right? your health. Yeah. And so it's like, <laughs> it's sort of like that old thing um, um, from Mad Men, right? When they're talking about the the cigarettes being toasted yes. and the guys are like but all of them are toasted and it's like, yeah but that doesn't matter we can claim yeah. it it's that's ours it's it's sort of that kind of thing that even some of these labels for food that's healthy it doesn't mean it's totally meaningless yeah. right and you can buy something that's supposed to be a health food i think like drinks are are really big on this right um there's a lot of drinks that look like they're healthy drinks and then you look at the ingredients and it's just like it's a lot yeah. of sugar right um so uh, how then would you go about, I guess, uh, um, choosing food that actually is healthy without relying on bogus advertising terms? Um, the best thing I can say personally, and I think this is true, is if the more work you have to do at home to prepare the food, again, it doesn't mean the better <laughs> it is because you could make something like lasagna, right? That is full of cheese and salt and all the stuff that is maybe not that great for you. If you eat lasagna every day, you're probably right. going to weigh a million pounds or you could make like you Garfield. Could, yeah, right. Or you can make homemade, <laughs> you can make homemade fried chicken, right? And it's still fried chicken. But if you're yeah. making something with vegetables, like if it's a vegetable, it's going to be good for your kid. If you're not, or, or for you, if you're not covering it in butter and salt necessarily, although, you know, if that's the only way you're going to eat vegetables, then maybe that's a, that, 
And that may be better than the alternative. Sure, too, exactly. Right? But yeah, just if, if you're expecting to be able to just buy it based on what it says on the label, like you have you have to know what you're making and how much it goes into it. And there's so many speaking to speak positively about technology and the internet. There's so many ways to find the contents of what's in food. Like I need more vitamin, whatever. I need more fiber. It takes you four seconds to figure out which vegetables you need. So I think put putting more thought right. into what you're actually making, as opposed to like, well, let me just buy something that the packaging has like somebody in nature on it, and it says organic, and it costs more, so which means it must be better, right? Uh, <laughs> which <laughs> right. is obviously not always true. Um, yes, it's an, a vampiric-looking Kelly Ripa telling me <laughs> to eat this, and I'll live forever, and I, I might believe her, because, right? You know. Not sure that right, she ages. exactly. Yeah. You talked, or you mentioned on here, you have a, a a link that you showed me earlier to the Mayo Clinic that has some children's nutritional yeah. guides, um, or the guidelines for children's nutrition. And I thought that was a real like I had never seen this link before. It's but it's a great breakdown for exactly what you need like from your yes. food and then where that yes. comes from. And the whole thing is like maybe a total of two hundred words, and it's mostly lists. And so I think if you can find something really good like that, or just you know click that link from yeah. our description. And then that's a good way of going right. about and doing it. Right, and I'd like it. to be clear. Farming practices and sustainable environmental practices are great. And if you have the money to be able to support a company that is humane in how they prepare their chickens, right, or that uses sustainable farming practices to grow their corn, sure. or you buy legitimate fair trade coffee or something, those are amazing. Thank you for doing that. That is something that the term organic it has nothing to do with right and so that's the idea is knowing right. what you're right. buying and again you can't go wrong if you're pre preparing like fresh fruits and vegetables right like th that stuff is right you know gonna be good for you and you don't have to buy the organic so again knowing what it means when you buy it is important but i think also you know thinking about if you're able to and you have the time like actually preparing a meal with your own hands you're also almost automatically healthy but i think you just naturally think more about what goes into it yeah, well, yeah, I think you have to. And I think you're also more likely to, to accidentally buy the right kind of ingredients, too, if you're trying to make something on your own. Yes. Um, so, you, you know, I, I hate plastic deeply. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very suspicious of plastic and all things plastic, not only because it's killing the whales, who I don't know personally, but I imagine are very important. Um, but it's, it's also, like, in a lot of yeah. our food. And so... I did a little bit of research on the the two chemicals that are largely in two of the mm -hmm. chemicals I should say that are in plastics. Right? Those yeah. are the two, um, and and yet I'm not a force using Superman, so I'm upset. Uh, but I well, a quick side note: chemicals is not a bad word. Like everything sure. is chemicals. A banana is made of chemicals, <laughs> and so when people are like, "We want our food free of chemicals," it's like, "Are you sure? Because then you have no food." Um, uh, uh, and I'm I'm also a big fan of, of GMOs. Oh, like that's, yeah. if we don't if we don't have contemporary farming techniques like you know uh, um, GMOs or or you know seeding the soil with nitrites and nitrates and things like that, then the planet can support like maybe two billion people. So just like pick five of seven friends and be like, I'm sorry, you have to die because I want all of my grass to, <laughs> you know, I want my wheatgrass shake to be. Right, exactly. Yeah, I want it to just be the random wheatgrass that happens to grow in that part of the country, right? It, 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 <laughs> yeah, it can't yes. be more resilient to uh, sun or bugs or anything, right? Right, and not not to say that there aren't sometimes health concerns that come with modern farming techniques. Like that, that certainly does happen. But I'm I'm not anti technology in that right. sense. This this is not that. But uh, BPA and BPS, bisphenol A and B, um, or A and S rather, are 
endocrine disruptors. And so what that basically means is that it affects your hormonal mm -hmm. system to some degree, right? Um, you know, also waking up 10 minutes earlier affects your hormonal system to some degree. Yeah. So it's not, it's not like it says it's really bad or really good. So when I, I looked, I was deeply, deeply concerned about this. And when I started looking at the studies for it, um, I, I found one that was a lit review that covered all the studies that had been done in like the past mm. 15 years. And the results were basically, eh, <laughs> Maybe. you know, um, <laughs> Yeah, it was it was kind of that kind of thing that it might affect it ever so slightly and it also might not and it also depends on a lot of these other factors. And so when I looked at that study, my my realization was I can have this as a concern and then and like Jess and I are going to address it like we're not going to, we're going to use glass bottles at least until we get tired of using glass bottles and switch to plastic. <laughs> but we're going to start at least using glass bottles um for for uh milk. And so that's something we can do. But if you're not, it's not a big deal. And so there's a, there's a priority between or a hierarchy of, of values like plastic probably don't want that in my baby's food. If I'm buying ingredients, if I avoid plastic, I think that helps me buy better ingredients. Right. I'm buying the whole food itself. That, yeah. Yeah. But that's not, that's not the end of the world. And the research bears out that it's not the end of the world. Um, another thing I wanted to say, cause this, I thought about this when you were talking about actually preparing yeah. the food, um, this is something that probably hard when two years old, but I think would have helped me a lot in being more, I was, cause I was a very picky eater and being more open to foods if I actually was involved in making them. And so like my wife follows a ton of food bloggers on um, different mm -hmm. social media things. And a lot of them are parents and they'll have their kids come help them do stuff. And I know that I didn't start opening up my palate really until I was in my late teens and early twenties. And I started cooking a lot mm -hmm. of my own food and I got to know what the ingredients were and then how that related to the flavors. And then I could start experimenting yes. and I've eaten a lot of really bad eggs simply because I made them. And I was like, I'm proud of this food. And I think that like, I think that works for kids as well that you can say like, I want to spend time with my time with my kids and I want to do something that is healthy for them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to combine those oh. things and see me like, you're going to be involved in this food I making think that process. Anyone that starts making their own food, more than microwaving it or throwing your ramen on the stove or whatever, you know, that kind of thing, throwing the frozen pizza in the, in the oven, you immediately care a lot more about what your food tastes like. I, because I, I went through that as yeah. well. I think in college when I started dating my now wife and we would spend more time together eating. And part of it was in an effort to cover up my many flaws by having a useful skill, which was feeding her. So if I make something that's better than a prepackaged meal, maybe she'll still love me um, or I can convince <laughs> her that I'm right. you know, worth the effort to transform into a functioning human being. But uh, yeah, like I didn't, once I started cooking it myself, it was like, well, if I'm going to go to all this work, it's going to have to be a whole lot better than what I'm currently eating. And right. uh, yeah, so I think that's an important part of that because it does two things it does what you're talking about which is by making a conscious choice and sticking to it all these other choices are automatically made for me right if i want to reduce plastic that comes in contact with my child's food because i'm concerned enough about it you by nature um i think you said before we were recording no one no one wraps broccoli in plastic although i have seen organic fruits and right. vegetables individually wrapped in plastic so there's yet another reason why that does drive yeah, me evil, nuts right yes also terrible for the environment. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> right. so bad for the environment. Um, but so you've got all these other things that happen. And so again, if you're making it at home by yourself, you naturally are probably picking better ingredients. You're naturally picking stuff that is perishable, which tends to mean it has fewer, at least sodium in it, if not other byproducts that we don't necessarily right. want. But 
I think that begins to create eating, meal prep, and family time habits in your house that lead to the opposite of what the Saturday morning cartoon advertisements do, right? Because those are pushing high fat, high sugar, super convenient foods that are highly addictive, right? And, and we know from the research that childhood attitudes and, and habits towards food lead to obesity and the more obese you are, you know, conversely also the worst like habits you have. So we, we, we know there's a causal link between sure. habits formed around what you eat and how much you weigh in your overall health. Cause we've seen it, you know, it influences both ways, right? So if you're making your own food and especially if you involve your child and your family in that, I mean, naturally you're taking longer to do it. You are controlling your portions more because it hasn't been predecided for you. Right. And, and the ingredients are usually better. And right. this is something that we did mostly from an economic standpoint. Again, we have the type of jobs and lives where I can take, I could take the time to make all of Zach's baby food. And we probably made about 95% of it. Uh, somebody was, can I, can I ask you how, yeah, you, so, how you did that? Like, I'm yeah, somebody was blender. generous enough to give us a, it's basically one of those little bullet blenders. You could do it in a regular blender, yeah. but you'd make an insane amount of food. And, and, and that came with some of these little silicone um, freezy things, which, I, you know, speaking of BPA and BPS, I have no idea. They were silicone, so I don't think they had any of that stuff. But Silic- No, silicone is the, the okay. go-to material for a lot of people who, right. like me, think that plastic is used to control <laughs> our brains. So, you know, I would steam vegetables and then put them in this bullet. And you could make it right then and there and feed him, which I would do. But a lot of times I would, on my good weeks... Make right, a bunch and so then, then I could just it. pop it out and um, either microwave it, you know, to kind of get it soft enough, or a lot of times what I'd do is I'd let it thaw. So like at the daycare, like I'd put it, you know, I'd have some that I just put straight in the fridge because that's gonna be good. Right. But the frozen ones, you know, if it's for later, if it's for the evening, I could put that in the fridge, and by the evening it would have thawed enough, and it's fine, right? And so right. I did that mostly for cost because while baby food in and of itself is not that expensive, it's like. You know, a jar of baby food is 57 cents or whatever. For 57 cents, you can buy like a pound of carrots, <laughs> you know. So, again, right. I have the luxury, <laughs> which I know not every parent on the planet does, of taking the time to be able to do that. But I, it was mostly for the money and then also my habit of taking the time to actually think about what my kid eats because it is, especially at a young age, they can't eat all the things we can and it's extra work to feed them. And I didn't want right. to default to a bad habit of giving my child something prepackaged. Now, this is not to say he never eats anything like that because there are sometimes Michelle and I feel like eating enchiladas and we want them to be spicy or something for dinner, right? So Zach will have right. vegetables now that he's almost two. Like we keep frozen vegetables on hand so that we can thaw those really quickly. And he the he's a he's a carrot fiend, sure. which has nothing to do with me and more just I think he was put on earth to eat carrots. Um, so I guess I should thank God for that. Uh, but you know, he'll have his craft Mac and cheese or something. Right. Um, and sometimes sure. I will also make sure. him Mac and cheese. I'm bad about not keeping all the stuff on hand, but it's, I think that in a moment of clarity, I made a choice mostly for my, my pocketbook maybe initially. Uh, but I don't have a pocketbook by the way. That's a, I just want that to be very clear. Yeah. The metaphorical <laughs> yeah, that's, pocketbook. That's, that's weird. Yeah. I'm not a woman from the eighties or seventies. Right. Uh, that, you know, I'm going to do this thing and it has resulted in habits that now it is normal for me to think about what he's eating and right. making sure he's eating like real yes. food. This is also selfish because I am not a picky eater at all. And picky eaters drive me up the wall to the point where I am unnecessarily judgmental about it. And I would almost <laughs> rather him like there are all kinds of bad habits that a person could have. I think that I would pick several of them for my child over being a picky eater. So, again, selfishly motivated, but the process of it. I think has given me a good habit that will be beneficial for my family. And, sure. and uh, 
again, it wasn't, it was a little more work. Um, and it wasn't because I'm some weirdo health nut who think, again, the whole organic thing or like, oh, you know, food that lasts longer than a day is inherently evil. I'm like, we've been salting and curing meats for our, that's how we have civilization, right? Uh, so I'm not saying right, that's bad, right. but I'm saying that I think it, uh, you know, a process like that lends itself then to a lot of other better decisions, right? Like variety, right? Because I'm looking at I agree. a week's worth of orange mush, which is carrots, which is good. I look at this and I think, well, God, who wants to eat the same color food every single day? Well, my little baby doesn't care, but I pick different foods and, and then by nature, I'm now eating different things, right? Because not all of those vegetables I would buy, right? you know, it's hard to buy a small amount of broccoli, at least for making baby food. So Michelle and I would end up eating it too. Right. It's baby right, portions exactly. of broccoli. So, Even if you yeah, buy baby mixing broccoli, in different it's so vegetables and not just always eating the starchy kind or whatever, right? Like that is something that kind of came about, not because I consciously thought about it, but because I looked at what a week's worth of carrots for a small child looks like. And I was horrified. Like, is he going to become orange? Like, right. what's going to happen here? <laughs> and so maybe that's why he loves carrots because I'd, it took me too long to figure that out. But, uh, <laughs> well, I, I, and I, I think one of the points that you raise is a really important one that you did this in part because it was like budget, like it was good for your budget. And in part because it was good for your child. And that's like, that's all well and good. But that it's also a product of the fact that you you actually had the time to do it. And I don't want it to come across like we're passing judgment on people who the reason they buy the prepackaged foods they do is because they're working so hard that they simply don't have the time, you know. And and there's no amount of planning that can account for all the like different twists and turns in your life. So if you find yourself as like a single parent who's having to work two or three jobs and you're exhausted all the time, I don't think you should assume like I'm no. a bad person or a bad parent because I can't do this all the time. But that's not what you're saying. This is just for like if you have the time this is a thing you can do that or just is a that good similar thing thought do. process right like um, think a little bit more because right. again i just happen to be looking at how much baby food costs and then i thought a little bit more about like well how would i get out of this right and if, if it, it could be anything and i have friends right. that have more than one kid that are far enough apart in age that they don't really eat similar things and so mm-hmm. pre-packaged portions of like uh, what, what is it that they buy it's like you can buy little packages of green beans and stuff right and Right, right, and exactly. those are lifesavers. So, I mean, you're still making a slightly better choice, right? But it's like I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not casting judgment on something like that because that's a situation a that I don't have to deal with because we only have one child. But you know, they're using that time then for other things, right? Possibly. And again, you, you, and that's just an right. example of the process that I, at least I went through, and it. I'm not going to claim that I sat down and I was like, this is how I'm going to run my whole life. And I'm so good and amazing that it occurred to me. It kind of happened by accident, but I think I've learned an, an important <laughs> sure, lesson. Sure, but it's a good, it's a, yeah, I've learned a happy an important accident. lesson about it's how a good I thing, might right? approach other aspects of raising my son, which is, you know, actually thinking about what I'm going to do before I do it. What a concept, right? That's probably not news to a lot of people, but, <laughs> but it is to me. That's <laughs> uh, news yeah. to us. Yeah. Well, there, there's. I, I want to take that as a kind of a, a segue into another issue, which is uh, we have written on our notes here, do as I do yeah. and as I say, because I think that the research shows that part of eating, the reason that when you eat with your family, you eat more vegetables and fruits and, and healthy foods is because that's what your family's eating. Whereas when children self-select, they choose like the sugariest, crappiest thing and eat a ton mm. of that while watching TV, right? Um and so one of the things that uh, we've mentioned in a previous episode was this yeah. idea of mental load, 
right? And so as we were doing research for this and, and I was looking at the articles you had linked and I was reading articles that I had found about what's healthy and what your child should eat, like it's really overwhelming. Um, and so if you think about like planning meals for a child and for a family and buying all of those things and also cooking them and making that happen, that's a huge part of the mental yeah. load. So just deter- determining what's healthy and then being able to deliver on it. That's a, that's a lot of work, like a, a, an extremely large amount of work. And so I think that if this is going, if your health and your child's health is going to be a priority for you, which it probably should, you should be aware that this is going to be an area, a big area of mental load for, for one or both partners. Um, and so this idea of do as I do and as I say, I think, is that you you can't really afford to tell your children to do something that you're not willing to engage in yourself. And so you have to actually, you can't like, you know, make them the nice, you know, mushed carrots and then eat the prepackaged yeah. frozen pizza all the time. I mentioned that specifically because I eat a ton of prepackaged <laughs> frozen pizza. Um but you need to you, you need to have healthy habits that your children will absorb right. kind of by osmosis, and I think that's one way of doing it. There's um, in that article that we mentioned earlier um, with uh, Heather Patrick and Teresa Nicholas, the two doctors who wrote that article. They cover three different feeding styles: authoritarian, permissive, and authoritative. And authoritarian is where you just say this is what you can eat and this is what you can't eat, and then permissive is eat whatever you want. But authoritative is that middle ground of I am going to give you some options and you can choose them, but ultimately you're going to have to, uh, um, I'm, I'm going to control to a degree which healthy choices you make. Right. I'm not it's not like open to every food imaginable. Dictate all of this. Right. But, and the authoritative really only works if mm-hmm. you're modeling healthy choices so that your, your kid's not like, why, well, you're eating this. Right. Why can't I eat that? Right. You're having cheesecake for breakfast. Why can't well, I also have cheesecake? That's an important breakfast? part of what we've talked about in our larger conversation, just about being a, good husband and father and man and positive masculinity, right? Is if, if something that's positive, a positive masculine trait is willing to do the hard work and make sacrifices to make something good happen, right? Part of that is a sacrifice sure. is to have to limit your own behavior when you might not necessarily want to or to engage in habits and processes that you find exhausting or tiresome or frustrating because you know it's good for your kid and 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 changing your own habits is harder as an adult than a child right and so you're doing more work than your kid but that's yeah. i think kind of what happened to me with the making you know making baby food is is that idea of thinking about a little bit more variety in what we eat as far as the fruits and vegetables and then being like okay well which of these actually have fewer carbs in them and what's the point of eating a leafy green instead of a sweet potato and sweet potatoes are great right but they give you two different things so right. this idea of yes. modeling and going through that process, like I, I think it has benefits for you, but it, it, it's an important part about being, um, again, exhibiting those po- those positive masculine traits because you are willing to put in the work to get the result you want, which is to have a kid that does good things. And research bears out that, um, right, you know, our habits, children whose parents display good habits and eat with them, end up getting good habits, right? Like, and then again, like we said, those habits tend to carry throughout life as well. And so you, there's a lot of positive dividends to it as well. And I think that all of this stuff, we've talked a little bit, there's so much out there to compete and this is a little, right. And, and and (laughs) I know this goes into you going back to you talking about like how, what kind of like, you know, bottles am I going to use or I'm going to change the thing. I think there's an area of like, how do you prioritize which of those you do? I think it's different for everybody. But I'd be interested to see, like, for you where that line is on that kind of stuff. Like, what, what's your process for determining the hierarchy, maybe, of 
because I think it's impossible to have everything be of equal importance in any area of your life. Right. No. Yeah. It, it, it can't, it can't be. You're right. And I think that for me, one of, well, one of the questions I've asked myself recently, and this rate goes back to your positive masculinity, uh, is I think about my own actions when I'm about to do something. Is this something that I would want my son to do one day, you know, or is this a habit I would like for my son to have? And that's something that has really changed the way that mm-hmm. I think about what is okay for me. Right. Because what is okay for me is like, oh, well, it's whatever because it's just me and it doesn't matter. But then when I think about the fact that I'm going to transmit these habits, you know, that that Mm -hmm. changes what I think of as okay or what I think of as good or bad. Um, In terms of priorities, it's one of the reasons I love that Mayo Clinic article that you linked so much is because it's so simple. It doesn't deal with the like vast, complex chemical makeup of the different types of whatever. Right. It's like, hey, you should have like one third of your diet should be. You should have a, mm-hmm. a third a cup of this every day. You should have some of this every day. And this is a um, not something that we talked about on a podcast, but you've mentioned before that Alton Brown does this, where he doesn't say he can't eat things. He oh, just says yeah, he has yeah. to eat certain things. And so if you're trying to get those, those things in your diet, then that works really well. As far as hierarchy goes, um, my general sort of heuristic is eat low to the ground. Right. So this is why vegetables and fruits and legumes and nuts and things like that are, are better to eat is because it's closer to the thing that grew up out of the ground. Right. Or, you know, um, chicken that you buy and things like that. This is this is all relatively low to the ground. If you're buying something like a lasagna that's frozen or prepackaged, it's less likely that that's good for you because it's so far away from the ground. These foods had to be made probably in different mm. plants, preserved, shipped, assembled, packaged, frozen then heated up at your home, right? And so that whole process is likely going to introduce a lot of complexity and the complexity is where it gets kind of iffy to me. And so the, my general goal is like eat, eat pretty low to the ground. And I think that's, that's the rule I've, I've heard. And then that I think about what I want for my child. That's, that's kind of the, the thought process that I go through. And so I look at two things and I'm like, is what's lower to the ground going and buying some sweet potatoes and boiling them and then blending them and making a sweet potato dish for my child or this, you know, thing that's like called sweet potato souffle for baby, right? Well, this one's lower right. to the ground than that. What one, about so I'll just go with prioritizing this. like, you know, we talked about like eating with your child. Well, if I'm going to make this meal from scratch, dinner time's probably going to be shorter or post-dinner playtime might be shorter or something like that. So I think, I, you know, yeah. I think all of us have yeah. to choose where on the hierarchy. And those are all good things, right? And so you have to... Yes, but you can't always do all right. the good things because there's 24 me, hours that's in a day. a lot of the angst for other parents I know comes about nutrition because it's like, man, if I'm going to have time to do the work I need to do and to, I mean, care for myself and have free time, I can't be doing the mom blogger thing where I freeze 80 crockpot meals ahead of time because I spent an entire 48 hours shopping. And, <laughs> and that's great. And that's amazing. And if you can do that, fun, great. Right? It is. For me, it's like, I'd rather make something simpler maybe, but I've cooked it right then and I don't have to spend yeah. the entire weekend doing that kind of stuff because- that is not, you know, I value different things a little bit. But, you know, you still can, I think, within those hierarchies, make good choices at every level of it. And that isn't to say that, um, you know, sometimes we uh, eat things that maybe aren't as good for... I know, like, for instance, you know, we eat with friends pretty regularly during the week, right? And when we go there, if it's a place where there's not something that right. Zach can easily eat or the cost is a little prohibitive and thankfully he's young enough that we don't get like 
thrown out of a restaurant for bringing our own food still for him. You know, that's where he might eat a cup right. of Kraft mac and cheese because it can be easily made ahead and brought with us, right? And, and we make sure there's some vegetables and things in the way. But what, what he gets out of that, too, is, you know, social time with people that are outside of our family and playing with other children and having yes, to learn yes. how to wait a little bit for something, <laughs> right, while it's happening or... So right. I just and, think and the, you have to make a choice every time. As long as you're consciously making the choice and not just defaulting to something, it's fine to have a hierarchy and you shouldn't feel bad because, oh man, this person does this and this is the most important thing to them. It's okay for you to have a different most important thing than somebody else. Sure. And and, and to allow yourself the slack to say, oh, I'm yeah. not going to get it perfect all the time. And, you know, but you're just making an effort. Speaking of that, mm. like, positive masculinity... I think that one of the things that used to be the role, like the the stereotypical male role, mm-hmm. was this role of like protector, right? And so it's like you know, no one's going to beat up my son, you know, I'll I'll protect him from that, or you know, whatever right. the case may, like, uh, you know, the guardian of the den or whatever it is, right? But that's not really statistically what threatens us now. The existential threat to most of our lives is things like poor eating habits and sleeping Mm -hmm. habits and poor mental health. Right. And so if we're talking about what's threatening the family, it's things that you can only address if you're willing to do something like, Hey, spend time playing with your kid or learn about nutrition and, you know, invest in making healthier food and also eating healthier food for yourself, because that's something that even if you don't want to do it for you is going to influence your children. And so that becomes the, the 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 threat is is these health related issues and so i think that is something that a lot of people would look at and say well that's not a very masculine thing to do and it's like no that's an incredibly stereotypically masculine thing to do yeah is to worry about what's threatening your child and along with that comes a realization i think that historically women have been playing a protective role in a similar if not greater capacity because they've been the ones who are traditionally yeah. worried about these things right and so as and dad's the one who's like, oh, mom's gone. Let's eat. Yeah. You know, burgers and pizza, and sugar whatever, yeah. things. Yeah, right. Right. And so this this is, I think, a, an area of growth for a lot of men. And um, I, I think it's something that is deeply masculine to do well um, yeah. because it's related to that sort of protective ideal. And it yeah. just you, and you have to invest time into it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a, I think, traditional, traditionally masculine ideal to be like, well, just roll up your sleeves and get to work on the hard work that needs to be done and quit complaining about it, right? But we have, over time, as a culture, said these areas of hard work are beneath us as men, yes. right? And it's not worth it to do it. And I'm like, man, how lazy is that? And I, I will say, my wife deserves so much of the credit, maybe all of it, for our healthy eating habits because she's just a healthier person in general. Um, but you know, working with her to make those choices and be like, you know, I want to eat fewer of this. What can we do to eat fewer, just simple carbs or whatever, right? Well, it's okay. If I honor that request and I'm willing, since I'm the one that does the shopping and the cooking, right? That requires right. more thought. Yeah. And I'm not eating what maybe is my initial preference because I, you know, am deeply, I'm from the deep South. So all of our cultural <laughs> foods are terrible for you for the most part, not all of them, but a lot of but, them are, but right? a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> deep fried so, this, deep fried that sweet. Yeah, tea, I, I wanted to be very clear that this is, I didn't, you know, wake up, uh, you know, the day my child was born and like, man, I'm the perfect parent now. Cause I make all this food and I cook all these wonderful things. And when we talk about screen time, everyone will get to see a lot more, um, 
of my foibles and how <laughs> you I'm and I would never be guilty that of we're going to be giving advice staring at a screen. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. that is awful I, for us. I, to I'm do deeply that. concerned. This is going to come across as us giving advice from a, from a standpoint of, well, here we are up high on our arrival. You know, yeah. Yes, and we're here Olympus. and you should be here too. Yeah. And you mortals, if you want to climb the, you know, steep peaks to be with us is what you got to do. It's more about, this has been a process and I've arrived, I think at some conclusions about, man, that was a really, now that I've gone through it, here's the value in it that has happened. And so it's, um, it's the food thing is, it's still, I would say is continually an area of stress because I feel guilty about it a lot of the times. And then I have to slow down and remember that, you know, the vast majority of my child's meals contain vegetables and have been cooked by one of his parents with their own hands, which is pretty good. I, yeah, good. I feel like that's pretty good, and it, it's a lot easier to not. Man, I, I think I've talked about this before, but my dad growing up, when my mom went back to grad school, we had like a right. six or seven month period there where we ate a lot of Taco Bell, a lot of Pizza Hut, a lot of hot dogs and hamburgers, which were cooked. But I mean, a hot dog, I I don't think I want to know what all goes into the standard American <laughs> hot dog, right? Uh, right. What an odd sandwich, the hot dog. Right. And when he finally, I think, got tired of that, he learned to cook, which is one of the things that I am most thankful. That right, that you admire did. in him, yeah, because he didn't have the support either of a culture that praised men who are willing to break the masculine norms, right? No, when when we were kids, yeah. that was not the case. So his willingness yeah. to do that, I think, is is pretty incredible. Yeah, but I just remember him being on the phone with his mom, who's a who was a phenomenal cook. So here's also a man learning from a woman, right, <laughs> and like listening to his mom, but like learning how to cook these things and the joy that he now takes in providing good meals to people, but just this yeah. idea of like. We kind of arrived at it out of desperation, and once we started doing it, it was like, oh wait, now it actually matters. And like, and, and we are at the place now where I've had my dad has told me multiple times there's some pizza he buys. It's a frozen one, but like the crust is made out of cauliflower. And I'm like, I don't remember ever eating a piece of cauliflower willingly as a child, but like this right. is where he's arrived because he's been in this process for so long of right. I'm gonna make my own food. And then it's like, hey, if I want to be healthier, I have the control over that. So like, it just it's crazy to me. And so, um. <laughs> Uh, again, modeling that and, and, and being active in it. Like, I think this specific area, the desire to make food for my child, that's where that came from. And I wasn't yeah. super young when that happened, but I mean, junior high, but like watching my dad make the conscious choice to take control of that area of our lives, uh, because my mom was, you know, furthering her career and not that she didn't right. care about it, but we all vastly, uh, benefited from her being as educated as she is. But it, I think that, I remember that, and that makes me feel a little bit better. I think about that yeah. kind of guilt, you know. Yeah, uh, that's all I've got. I don't know if you have anything. I think else. that's that's all that's all I've got as well for now. We could go on and on and on about plastic. Just remember that it's evil and it's killing the whales. That's true. Uh, it's uh, the only thing more evil than that is a commercial tra- telling you a to buy commercial plastic. for plastic. Yeah. They have those. Do you remember those? Plastics make it possible. They have yes. these commercials. Yeah, exactly. Oh, good Lord. If you meet someone who works in plastic advertising, just punch them right in the mouth. They <laughs> do it for us. It. Do <laughs> no. it for us. Yeah. Hey. Remember everybody at T N T D N G cast at that's the T-D-N-G-Cast. one G cast. There we go. It's it's hard. Two dads named Grant. That's the name of the show. So if you that is. make an abbreviation, you get T D N G. Then with cast, that's our Twitter because it's a follow podcast. Us, and T D N G was taken. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Follow us. Retweet. Share it with your friends. You can email us. It's Please the same do. thing. T D N G cast at gmail.com we're super and check the looking link below for feedback yeah we're excited for all of the the information that we got today and all of our sources that's yeah. all there as well uh but yeah i think that's it we'll see you next week i am grant vickery and i'm grant overman this has been two dads named grant thanks for listening <laughs>